Most of us have, at one time or another, had a told-you-so moment. Maybe you remember your last told-you-so moment. One person tells another person that they plan to take some course of action. You know how it goes. The second person says, hey, if you do that, it's probably going to go badly for you. The first person replies, no, 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 it'll be okay, and proceeds with whatever it was they were planning to do. Of course, it does go badly, and the second person comes along and says, told you so. And there are two kinds of told you so situations. There are the kind where you're the one who gets to say, told you so, which is usually where you want to be, uh, and they're the kind where someone says it to you, which is usually where you don't want to be. Well, as the book of Jonah begins to conclude in this last chapter, Jonah finds himself in a told-you-so moment with God. And he's the one who is saying told-you-so, isn't he? The thing is, when you get into a told-you-so moment with God, you don't want to be on either side of the thing, do you? Uh, Jonah's attitude towards God just gets him in more and more uh, frustration, doesn't it? So, how does Jonah find himself in this moment? Well, he disobeyed God for one thing, didn't he? And this is a place where we begin to find out why he disobeyed God and what his inner reflections were and his justification was. He was angry at God and displeased with what God had done. And he was displeased because God had shown compassion to his enemies. Uh, God called him to go and preach in Nineveh, and he ran the other way. And he tells us in chapter 4, uh, verse 2, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? Didn't I tell you this would happen, God? Told you so. I knew that I, I fled to Tarshish at the beginning because I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. He knew God's character, didn't he? He knew where God was. He knew what God would do, probably because he'd read his Bible. And uh, God declares in Exodus about his character, steadfast love, uh, shows kindness, grace, mercy, slow to anger, to generation after generation. And so here's Jonah saying, God, I knew that you were going to show compassion. Now you have. I told you you would do it. And look, these people who don't deserve it are experiencing the blessings of your grace. Told you so, God. Isn't this what I said would happen? Jonah says that because he has a problem, doesn't he? Some people have an inferiority complex. Jonah has a superiority complex. He thinks he's better than these folks, doesn't he? After all, he's the good guy. He's part of the people of God. He's a, got one of God's prophets. He's on God's team. And they're the bad guys. They're the evil people. It's us versus them. God looks with favor on us, is Jonah's perspective, and not on them. The thing that Jonah's got to learn and the thing we have to begin wrestling with as we look at this told-you-so moment that he has with God and how the conversation between Jonah and God develops, the thing that Jonah has to learn is that God doesn't value people because of what they do or don't do. He doesn't keep charts of value for individual human beings based on their behavior. He values them because he made them. He values them because he loves them. Jonah doesn't see things that way, but God does. The bottom line for Jonah, the bottom line for us, is that our worth comes from our Creator, not from our behavior. Our worth before God comes from the fact that we're made in His image and isn't dependent on 
how we behave. Now this point shows up towards the end of Jonah chapter 4. Jonah's in this argument with God, and they're arguing about this bush. God's like, why are you angry about the bush? You didn't make the bush, I made the bush. Why are you upset about this plant that it was there, now it's dead? Remember, Jonah had gone out of the city. Uh, he'd been in Nineveh. He preached. They repented. He was frustrated at God, so he goes out of the city in verse 3, asks God to take his life, and he sets up this little tent, booth kind of thing, to make some shade. And it says he's waiting there to see what would become of the city. I think he was still hoping God would drop a bomb on the place. <laughs> he's like, let me get out of town, and I'll just sort of watch from a distance and maybe, you know, their repentance is half-hearted and God will know that and he can just kind of have his wrath on it and I'll just watch and I'll be very, very satisfied when it's all over. That's, I think that's what's going on with Jonah there because when it doesn't happen, he's very, very angry, isn't he? He doesn't get what he wants. So God appoints a bush, a plant of some sort, and it grows up and gives him shade and uh, saves him from his discomfort, and Jonah's happy about that. So he's, ha he's angry, he's happy, he's going to be angry again very soon. God gives him this bush. Notice all through Jonah, God appoints things. He appointed the big fish to swallow Jonah, and now he's appointed this bush to give shade, and in a moment he's going to appoint a worm to eat the bush so that Jonah's out in the sun again. So God just keeps sending <coughs> messages, right? And it's a sign, again, not that God is angry at Jonah, but that God is reaching out to him. God is consistently throughout this book, throughout the story, trying to get Jonah's attention. Now, sometimes he's got to do severe things to get Jonah's attention, doesn't he? Like going overboard in a sea storm, <laughs> kind of severe. Belly of a fish for three days, kind of severe. Uh, but God is not taking away the plant because he's angry at Jonah. He's trying to get Jonah's attention because he loves Jonah. And he doesn't just want Jonah to preach. He wants Jonah to begin embodying. God wants Jonah to embody God's own compassion. So God sends a worm. The worm eats the bush. It withers. It dies. And Jonah's back out in the heat again. And if you've ever been in a desert, in, in this, this dry heat, you get uh, the text tells about this sultry east wind. I've never actually heard the wind described as sultry before, but that's what <laughs> this translation says. You could get a really vivid image of just how painful this is for Jonah, it's hot, the sun is bearing down on him, the wind is there, there's sand in his face, it's just this dry, painful kind of thing. And remember, where he, in ancient Nineveh is modern-day Mosul, Iraq. And so that's kind of the world that he's living in there. And he's angry, again, he's so angry, he just wants to die. I mean, that, I mean just let the, let the weight of that settle on you for a minute. You may have been angry with God before. Don't raise your hand if you have been. Uh, he can handle that. He's God. But have you ever been so angry with God that you just want to die? Like, this is it. I'm, I'd rather be dead than deal with your nonsense anymore, God. That's, that's Jonah's attitude here. And that is, I mean, friends, that's, that's striking, isn't it? I mean, there's a serious thing going on. This guy, I mean, just put yourself in his shoes for a moment and try to sympathize with where he is. He is so opposed to what God is doing that he would rather be dead than see the Ninevites repent and be spared. He would rather die than see them live. That's serious stuff, isn't it? I mean, there's a... God's got some work to do on this guy's heart, doesn't he? And one reason the story plays out the way it does is because we need to realize God's got some work to do on our hearts, <laughs> doesn't he? 
So God says to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? He says, yes, angry enough to die in verse 9. Then the Lord says, you're concerned about a bush, but you didn't make the bush. You didn't labor. You didn't work. You didn't grow it. It came into being overnight. It perished overnight. Should I not be concerned about Nineveh? Right? You didn't make that. Why do you care? The implication is God saying, I made these folks and I care. Why shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh, that great city? Surely it's more important than this bush you're all stressed out about. 120,000 people live there and lots of animals. And it's kind of funny, the whole thing just ends with the word animals. What a weird way to end up. <laughs> you're reading along, you're like, so what happens? And we don't find out what happens. The point that God is making to Jonah is, as creator, right, he can bring a plant out overnight if he wants to and be done with it overnight if he wants to. He can go to Nineveh, which is full of people that he has made and crafted and formed in his image. Right? They're human beings who bear his... Now, they've smashed the image pretty bad. <laughs> but God loves people who drag his image through the mud, doesn't he? Thanks be to God that he loves people not based on their behavior, but on his character. And so Jonah's beginning to learn, or he needs to learn. We don't find out if he learns it or not, but he, he's, he needs to learn that God's attitude towards people is one of a loving creator, not just an angry prophet. Yes, God has stern words to speak. Yes, there are consequences if they continue and persist in their unrepentance. But God's posture towards Nineveh is one of concern, even though they're wicked. His posture toward the Ninevites is one of compassion, even though they're rebels. Their standing before God doesn't depend on their behavior. His love for them doesn't go up and down based on how good they're being that day or how bad they are tomorrow. His love for them is consistent even when they run from his love for him because he made them and he loves that which he's made. So God's posture as creator is on display in these last few verses. He made the bush, he's done with the bush, he made uh, the people, made the cow, the animals, the livestock, all, the, all of God just has concern for his creation. And the value of his creation comes from his character, not from our behavior. Jonah ends, the story ends with Jonah still firmly entrenched against God in this posture, doesn't he? he if he's learned the lesson or not, we don't find out. <laughs> it's a little bit different in the children's Bibles. If you have one at home, go home and read it and see if it doesn't work out this way. Usually, Jonah is a happy ending in children's Bibles. Uh, it ends at chapter 3. Jonah goes, God calls him, he repents, or he doesn't, he, he runs from God before he repents. Uh, he gets swallowed by a fish, he gets spit out on land, that apparently was enough, so he repents, he goes and preaches in Nineveh, starts a church, First Methodist Church, downtown Nineveh, big steeple, it's all good, the masses get converted, and that's the end of the story, Jonah's a hero in the children's Bibles, right? That's usually how it works out. Not so in the Hebrew Bible, <laughs> not so in the Old Testament. At the end of the story, Jonah has his heels dug in and his fists clenched, and he is angry enough at God that he'd rather be dead than see the Ninevites convert. And he's wrestling with this truth that our value doesn't depend on our behavior. It depends on God's love for us. 
Our value comes from our creator, not from how good or how bad we are. That's the thing that he's struggling with. That's the thing that he does not like. He's okay with God loving him. He's not okay with God loving his enemies. And it's easy for us to begin to feel superior to Jonah, isn't it? We'd have gotten it right if we'd have been there, obviously. We'd have obeyed God. We'd have been there. We'd have done what he wanted us to do. And that feeling of superiority then puts us exactly in the place where Jonah is, though, doesn't it? If we fall to that temptation. Again, we're thinking, hey, I could get it right. He got it wrong. So we need to resist that temptation because the whole point of the whole narrative is to help us see that when it comes to God's redemptive purposes, the ground is level. Nobody comes in with a leg up in the kingdom. Nobody comes into God's favor because, well, they got it all right and so much for that other guy. That's what makes grace, grace. No one deserves it, not even Jonah. And he's got to learn that. And all through this, God is trying to get Jonah's attention to teach him that Jonah's behavior doesn't is not what determines God's love for him. And the thing is, Jonah's really a bad guy in the story, isn't he? I mean, he's the only one in the whole thing that never worships God. Those pagan sailors back at the beginning in the storm, they worship God. The Ninevites, they repent, they worship God. Jonah's the only one in the whole story who's a part of the people of God, and he's just angry at God the whole time. He never surrenders, he never submits, he never worships, he never retreats from his posture of, 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 of running from God. He's constantly standing, and he's, I, I'm frustrated, God, I'm angry at you, I told you this would happen, I know your character's consistent, I know you're going to have compassion, I ran off in the other direction because I knew what you would do, and you did it, and I'm angry at you for it. I mean, that's just the whole thing. If anyone deserves condemnation, it's that guy, he's unfaithful. If anyone deserves judgment for bad behavior, it's Jonah, just like anyone else or more than anyone else. God has called him. He ran. God has called him. He showed up, but his heart wasn't in it. And now he's out in the middle of the desert outside of a city with his fist clenched and he's waving his arm in the air at God, frustrated. Jonah needs to learn, and God keeps coming back to him. Hey, Jonah, let's talk. Hey, Jonah, let's talk. Is it right for you to be angry? Is it good for you to be angry? Don't you know the kind of posture I take towards you and everyone else? He's got to learn that his value before God doesn't depend on what he can do for God. That's how he comes at it. He thinks he has something to offer. You know, as if God's going to wake up and say, oh, what am I going to do without Jonah? <laughs> or any of us. God never shows up and says, what am I going to do without O'Reilly or somebody? Never. His love for us doesn't depend on what we can do for him. His love for us just depends on his character. Depends on the fact that he made us in his image. And Jonah tries to relate to God as somebody who can offer him something. God says, nah, it's not, it's not how this works. It's not how this works. And I'm going to do what I've got to do to get your attention. Our worth comes from our creator, not from our behavior. Jonah, we said, has that superiority complex. The same attitude that gets that problem also creates this feeling of inferiority sometimes, too. Some people, 
thank God, is pretty lucky to have them on the team. <laughs> Other people can't imagine how God could love them with all they've done. The attitude is the same, even if we're on different ends of the spectrum. At the heart of each one of those attitudes is, God values me based on what I do or don't do. And God doesn't treat people that way, does he? I meet people over the years in ministry settings, invite them to church. And man, if I could tell you how many times people have said, oh, if I came to the church, the whole place would fall down on me. And it's a joke. They're kidding around. But I think out of the, out of the, out of the mouth comes the overflow of the heart, right? A lot of times there's something happening underneath there with a, some old shame or some old feeling of guilt or some old condemnation where you just can't go to that place. God could never love me given my past. Those people could never love me if they really knew me. So they just don't walk in the doors. Jonah, the lesson from Jonah is God's love for you doesn't depend on your past. There are things, brokenness, shame, whatever it is, God loves you regardless because he's made you. He's made you in his image. And even if that image is damaged, he still loves you. And he desires to remake it, to renew it. And that's the issue for Jonah, isn't it? Like he's just obliterated the image of God because he has no compassion. He himself, a member of the people of God, has smashed. He's not carrying God's image because God's character isn't showing up in his life, right? God doesn't just want Jonah's obedience. He gets that, doesn't he? Jonah ended up obeying after the fish. He went down there and preached repentance, and God used that lousy sermon to, you know, convert the whole group. It was a very lousy sermon. If you forgot that, go back and read it. It's like one line. It's just all hellfire, and it's just... It's just no compassion whatsoever. But God's not through with Jonah because he doesn't just want a sermon. He wants a heart characterized by compassion. He wants Jonah to embody his character. He doesn't just want him to tick a box. God's not a legalist. He's not looking for, you just do what I say and everything will be okay. That's not how God relates to people. Yes, he wants us to obey, but our obedience doesn't get us anywhere and it doesn't satisfy him. He wants hearts that embody his character. And Jonah has the whole, all the way through, we hear again about God's compassion. And all the way through, we see that Jonah has no compassion. And the problem in the whole story is that contrast. Jonah has yet to embody the character of God. And that's the vocation that God has for him. But to do that, he can't look at other people. He can't look at the Ninevites based on their behavior, because that's not how God looks at it. He can't judge them and condemn them based on their behavior. He's got to judge them and preach to them and engage in ministry to them based on the fact that they're human beings, persons made in the image of God, objects of God's love, objects of God's compassion. And that is an objective reality that is different from their subjective <coughs> bad behavior. Our worth, the Ninevites' worth, Jonah's worth, our worth, doesn't come from our behavior. It comes from God's character, from the Creator. 
And that's what Jonah's got to get. He's got to love. He's got to love them, even though they're horrifying. And only God can do that. <laughs> like nobody just pulls that off. Nobody can manipulate their heart into loving the unlovely. If that happens, it means Jesus is going to work. Because that's who Jesus is, isn't it? That's what the cross shows us. We get to the cross, we see what Jonah was missing. We see a Hebrew prophet filled with compassion for people who hate him. We see a Hebrew prophet who prays for those who shove thorns into his face. See a, a Lord who intercedes for those who drive spikes into his hands. We see God in the flesh showing compassion to people who betray him. Think about Peter. Walked with Jesus month after month, year after year. After year. Comes down to it. I don't know that guy. <laughs> Who does Jesus love, though? Peter. Peter's worth to Jesus doesn't depend on his behavior. If it did, fire that guy and get somebody else. Jesus is worth, Peter's worth to Jesus depends on the fact that Jesus made him and loves him. That's it. Even though he's a scoundrel. And he's a scoundrel. Good news is, Jesus loves scoundrels. <laughs> That's what Jonah's about. Whether you're Jonah or the news. The other disciples, as soon as the swords come out, they turn tail and run, don't they? They're gone. Their standing before God doesn't depend on their behavior. If it did, they'd all be condemned. Any of us, if our standing before God depended on our behavior, we'd all be in hell. All of us. Thanks be to God, it doesn't. It depends on Jesus. It depends on his cross. It depends on his love. It depends on his grace. We can run from that. And if we run from it, we miss it. But he always, he's, he's there coming after us. And he only does it because our worth doesn't depend on what we do. It depends on his creative love. Imagine how horrifying it would be if God showed up ill. <laughs> you know. And people think, I mean, sometimes I meet people and say, well, I'm just trying to do some good things, make up for the bad things. And people say that. I've heard people to me. And I think, what a horrifying image of God that is. I mean, how would you feel if God showed up you know, at your house, right? Say, hey, I brought my scales. I got my balance here. Let's take all your good things and all your bad things. We'll just put them in the scales and you know, however it tips, heaven, hell. That's how it works out. See what happens. Anybody want that? Hands shoot up really quick, don't they? That's a horrifying image of God. It's terrifying because all of you know, because none of us would be able to stand before him. But that's the image of God Jonah wants. Because he can't stand the Ninevites. And that's the image, if we find ourselves kind of living in Jonah's footsteps, that's the image of God we're playing with. But it's not God. It's not who God is. The God we get in Jonah is a God who shows up and says, you know what? 
I could bring the scales, but it'd be bad for you if I did. So we're just going to leave those at home, and I'm going to show up with a whole lot of compassion because you're a mess. And people who are a mess need my compassion. And I'm here to give it because I made you. I formed you out of dust in the ground. I formed you in your mother's womb. You're mine, and I love you. And you can run all your life, and I will be there calling you to turn around and come back. question is, how soon will we turn? Now, this infiltrates our lives in all sorts of ways. It infiltrates our lives in very touchy ways. And maybe, you, you know, maybe the Holy Spirit's working in your life and is already kind of saying, hey, here's a place where you, <laughs> you know, maybe acting like Jonah a little bit and looking at people based on what they do and where they sit, not on God's compassion. So we need to be asking God to help us see the people around us the way God sees the Ninevites, the way he wants Jonah to see the Ninevites. Can we embody his compassion not only to people we like, but people who you know, use us? The boss who's always out to get us. That person at the family reunion who hasn't let go of that grudge from decades ago. You know, there are people and we're just like, I don't want to see that person now and we don't want to see them because we're judging them on their behavior, not on God's compassion. And that works out differently for different folks. I'll share this with you. It may get me in trouble. <laughs> An area of struggle for me this week. One place where this happens for us on, a, on the level of our societies and our politics. Right? Politics are things you're not supposed to talk about in church, but here it goes, right? We'll shoot at both sides. American politics are so divisive right now. And it's just name-calling. There's no substantive engagement with arguments. No civil engagement with robust ideas. It's just hatred. Red, blue, donkeys, elephants, all, it's just back and forth. If they're in the other party, you hate their guts, and that's all there, and there's no middle ground. There's nowhere to, like, figure out how to work together so that everybody can, you know, thrive. It's just a battle, and it's bad for all of us. It's embarrassing around the nation, around the globe, and it's bad for our society. I tend to think it's probably part of God's judgment on our society, but that's a different sermon. But our leaders are just at each other's throats constantly. And rarely do we see a person of dignity and valor and courage and virtue stand up to lead. Rare, rarely. In fact, we see it so rarely, we don't even expect our leaders to have virtue anymore. We expect them to let us down. We expect them to be jerks. It's hard to get elected if you're not a jerk, right? I don't think anybody's ever been elected anywhere. If you have, it's not about you. <laughs> but that's where it is. It's just, I mean, I'm reading the news and I'm listening to the talking heads. And it's just yelling and fighting and divisiveness. And, and, and there's, it's just back and forth and there's no good thing that comes out of it. And the problem is Christians sometimes get sucked into that. And we begin to despise people who take a different view on things than we do. Now I take a lot of really strong views on things. I'm not saying don't take a strong view. 
I'm just saying, are we allowing, are we confusing the person and the view? You see. Scoundrel. I hate that person. I can't stand what they think. I, I just can't believe they made that decision. I can't believe they vote like that. I just, and we just have this, whenever we fill our hearts, start to well up with this fury and we just get that, then we're, li- we're, we're beginning to act like Jonah, aren't we? We are judging people based on their behavior, not on God's compassion. The thing about God is, he has compassion for people who despise him. So one example of this this week, where I was, I mean, I was really, I was having to try hard, ask the Holy Spirit to help me not live where Jonah was living. Tell you that. My social media has been filled up with the stuff about the New York legislature and their broadening, expanding access to abortion in their state. And I got to admit, my first inclination is I just want to like take the entire new, new, all the legislators and throw them through a window or something. Just this fury. Can't believe you do that. Can't believe you would infringe. This was. This is. Can't believe you would judge a person to have no value. Horrifying that you would treat someone with a beating heart in that capacity. You would compare lives and judge that way and just horrify and cheer about it. How despicable can that possibly be? I just feel that fury. And then the Lord begins to, or then I go start working on the sermon. (laughs) And the Lord begins to say, hey, you know, you need to pay attention to this. Because the thing you're feeling towards those folks who, yes, are behaving in wicked ways, who are destroying the, the most vulnerable in our society, being crushed under their feet, that's wicked. But your attitude towards them looks a whole lot like Jonah's attitude towards the Ninevites. You are condemning them and, having, and despising them based on their behavior. And here's the thing. God says, I want them to repent. And so the church has got to find a way, friends. And this is very hard. It's very hard for me. It's got to find a way to be able to say, look, here's the gospel. Jesus is Lord. God raised him from the dead. He died for our sins so that we could be forgiven, restored, and reconciled to God so that we could honor God with our lives, filled by his spirit. That's the gospel. Jesus is Lord, and he doesn't want you to kill babies, and that's all there is to it. But that doesn't mean we come at you with our fury. It means we come at you with his grace. With a robust, rigorous, clear pronouncement of God's good news and Jesus' expectations. And friends, it's the church's job to lovingly declare Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. We're his people. It's our job to tell the world what he expects. But not with fury, with joy. And the thing God wants the most is not to send the New York legislature to hell. He wants them to repent and change the law and save life instead of destroy it. And when I pray, that's what I need to be praying for. doesn't mean we're not serious about the issue. doesn't mean we're not serious about the issue. It means... It means we're learning what it looks like to embody the character of God. And it's a very, very, very hard thing to do. 
taking up your cross and following Jesus is always, always a very hard thing. Denying yourself is always a very hard thing to do. But when we get into that, when we get into that spot, when we get into that temptation where we are tempted to just say, hey, there's somebody, I don't like their view, I don't like their politics, I don't like what they said, I don't like what they did, I don't like the way they talk to their kids, I don't like the way they do this, I don't like the way they drive, I don't like the way they... You fill in the blank. Our worth is determined by our Creator, not our behavior. And in every one of those instances, Jesus, the Lord, says... Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's the lesson Jonah had to learn. And it is one of the hardest lessons when it comes to following Jesus. Like learning to see people as people, as people made in the image of God, even if they do despicable things, as friends, it's it's one it's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Thanks be to God, it gives his Holy Spirit. <laughs> in our own strength, we wouldn't be able to do it. But in the strength of the Spirit of God, he is able to infiltrate our hearts, fill us with his compassion, so that we can rigorously proclaim his gospel with all of its expectations, and at the same time, call the wicked to repentance. So that God can have compassion. 